before the pandemic began, I was the president of the Niagara Symphony Association in St. Catharines. And as president, I often went to schools where our musicians were helping students learn about composition of musical pieces. And I would go to the concerts that were put on by the students to showcase their creations. I remember walking into a school and someone coming right up to me, who I recognized immediately because I had taught her in grade four. And I had taught her sister and her brother and her cousins as well. And I told her I was pleased that she had remembered me and that she had sought me out to say hello. And she talked about how much fun my classroom was and how much she enjoyed the classroom because I did so much project work. She remembered one project that I had done and I'm going to share that project with you. I had been reading about banking units that teachers had conducted and teaching students about bank accounts and checks and bills and all of those kinds of things. Because at one time in the junior division, we had to teach all about money. And so having to teach about money led to actually using money to learn about its value and so on. And I had created a unit where every student in the class had a make-believe bank account and every student had a job and they got a paycheck and put money into their bank accounts based upon the amount of work they had had to do, whether it was cleaning the boards or distributing papers or cleaning up outside or whatever. And they formed themselves into groups that were going to use the money they had earned and invest it in a table at a fun fair in the, at the end of the spring semester, the spring term. And it was a lot of work, but the kids had a lot of fun and the fun fair was very successful. The students had made posters and they had made phone calls and they sold tickets and they they looked after everything and everybody was involved that's what i can refer to as the power of collaborative project work in learning which is the title i'm giving to this podcast and why why is that kind of learning so much more successful than book learning sitting in a seat and answering problems for instance or doing an experiment and copying the notes down and writing an exam afterwards in teaching today we talk about the difference between surface learning and deep learning. Surface learning is what 
all of us used to do when we were practicing our multiplication skills or we were practicing our spelling skills or in high school we were practicing verb conjugations deep learning is taking those skills and applying them elsewhere so if i'm teaching my students about the value of money and how much money how far money goes then deep learning would be if i was in america right now or last month in canada planning a thanksgiving dinner bringing in the flyers from newspapers that show all the prices of the things that need to be bought for such a dinner calculating a menu how much you need to buy and then pricing out the grocery list and thinking about it in terms of the dollars and cents and how much money you need and so forth so deep learning is taking the surface learning in terms of arithmetic skills for instance and money skills and applying them to real world situations it's the real world situations that enable the students to apply the lessons of the classroom and we know now that one of the ways in which we can enhance learning is by looking for ways to relate the learning to the real world things like getting students to fold paper and make paper airplanes and try to fly them and then learning along the way about what makes a plane fly and what what each of the factors are and the variables and then making measurements and seeing what happens or building a bridge out of popsicle sticks and seeing how much weight it will bear they're learning as they go and what they're learning applies to the real world so when people are problem solving together they're having discussions and one thought leads to another thought and then the whole group gains insights and moves forward think about what we know happens in so many workplaces today workplaces where people are in teams and they're required to solve problems and they sit around a table and they juggle the ideas employers today want students that can do that and can listen to what other people are saying and assimilate what's being said and then build on those ideas that's where problem solving begins that's where working in groups in the classroom begins and when you think about it that is a way in which students practice their communication skills they have to speak properly 
They have to be able to take notes and write notes down. They have to be able to read in order to find information to bring to their problem solving. They have to be able to listen carefully so they can assimilate the ideas from other people. When students are being forced to work together, and at the beginning, I use the word forced because you as a classroom teacher establish a project and then divide the students up into groups and then they're forced to work at it. That's what the task is. But they're not really being forced. You don't have to use force because they're excited about the things they have to do. So... First of all, one of the things they're going to do when they're sitting in groups on the floor or sitting at tables together is they are being forced to look at a single problem from a variety of different perspectives. They have to listen to each other as each other puts new ideas on the table and assimilate those ideas. And by assimilating those ideas in their minds, they're reinforcing the concepts. Some of what we're doing and some of what I'm talking about begins with an understanding that we have gained by researchers' pedagogy in education today. One of those people is Howard Gardner, who reminds us that everybody has their unique set of uh, intelligences. Some people are much better at reading and understanding and can think abstractly, and other people are way better at taking things apart and figuring out how they go back together again. Jean Piaget, the French philosopher and educator, talked about the fact that every one of us goes through stages that begins with manipulating and then looking at things from a concrete way and then only after we understand the concrete are we able to understand the abstract. And when you're problem solving, you are manipulating first things that you play around with and you put your hands on, and then you are manipulating ideas. So you're going from the concrete to the abstract, and as you do that, you're deeping knowledge. A lot of teachers complain about how we go about assessing what students are doing and what they accomplish. First of all, let's talk about the end product because most educators find it very difficult to think about a project that doesn't have an end. At some point, I will talk about rubrics in greater detail. But we set out for our students our expectations. What will it look like for them to be working together? What will it look like for them to be assembling ideas together and working collaboratively? 
We are going to expect them not to fight. We're going to expect them to be clean. We're going to be accept, expect them to take good notes. What are the expectations of the finished product? And if we give them a, a vision of what the finished product look like look, will look like, then they have a goal to work towards. All of these things are workplace skills. And the more we practice them in the classroom, the further along our students get in the ability to work together. Oftentimes, you'll see that students go beyond the original expectations. We can say to them, this is what I want you to get to. This is what I expect you to do. But students will go beyond and then they help one another. I used to have a project in my seven and eight with my sevens and eights when we first had net we when we first had a group of computers in in the library and I was learning and then I was teaching my students how to put together a presentation slides if you will an early PowerPoint presentation, but they were using a towel, a, a, a tool rather, sorry, that enabled them to add video and add pictures and add sound. They were at the stage when I was doing this where we were all captivated by Encarta the CD encyclopedia that you could press on a link and you could watch a video or press on a link and go to another web page. My students had been playing around with Encarta and when they started to work on the presentation that I asked them to create, all of a sudden they were integrating pictures and video and all other kinds of things. And when I watched them and I saw them, I didn't know how to do it, but they learned on their own because they experimented and then they shared with others. And you can be sure that they had a greater sense of accomplishment and a greater sense of pride in their finished product because they had gone beyond my expectations. And that's oftentimes what happens. The trick with project work is that you have to, number one, have an open-ended challenge. You can tell them what you want the finished product to look like, but you have to give them a problem to work on that they can take off in a variety of different directions and they can present their new information in a variety of different ways. The less you define for the students what you want, the more they will become creative and it's the creativity that you want to cultivate. And once you've started to do this kind of thing in a classroom, you have to do it 
over and over again. Because at the beginning, you have resistance. There are students that don't want to work with anybody. Or there are parents that don't like the fact that they're not sitting in rows and they're making, uh, being noisy. I worked for a principal who I had my students making dioramas to show landforms, dioramas of jungles and, and steps and prairies and so on. And they were working all over the school on the floor with all these art materials. And the principal didn't like the fact that there was they were having too much fun. But if I'd had that as an opportunity to do it over and over again, the principal, the parents, the students would have seen the benefit of what they were doing. So what you need to remember is that problem solving in groups especially is an opportunity for students to learn new skills that you don't teach. They teach themselves. And when they teach themselves, they share with other students because they're in the same workspace. And those skills carry over. I remember, and I'm going to finish with another project that I had, because this is a typical example of what I'm referring to. When I taught in a K-8 school, I was originally hired to teach art on Rotary. And I began that first year knowing that I wasn't an artist. I liked crafts and I was good at seeing where one could take an art activity. I was good at being creative without actually creating something, if that makes any sense. One of the things that was compulsory for all grades was the idea of painting pictures. And I knew I couldn't do that, and I knew that was difficult for students to do. So I came up with a competition, and the students had to paint a picture, and then they had to judge which pictures were the best in their classroom. And all the pictures were put in the wall, on the walls in the hall of the school. And everybody in grade four, grade five, grade six, grade seven, and grade eight got to pick the best paintings in each grade. So at the end, there was a best, second best, third best in grade four, grade five, and so on. At the beginning, the, the art did not look good at all. But over the next couple of years, when I had finished products to show the students, and they remembered what they had seen the year before, little by little, the projects got more ambitious. And we branched out into doing it different ways. But one of the things that was so important was the fact that my students got very involved in what they were doing and they never finished up in time in the time we had in the classroom. So I opened up my classroom before school, 
at lunchtime and after school for students who really were ambitious to come in and use the paints and the brushes and the water cans and the sinks and so on. And at those times that were outside of the classroom, I had students that were in my art room that were in all the grades. And one reason why the art got better over time was that they would help each other. The grade five would help the grade six. The grade eight would show how a grade show a grade four how to draw something or mix colors. Over the years, the art became outstanding and way beyond anything that anybody could have ever expected from a grade four, grade five, grade six, grade seven, or grade eight student. I called it my paint-a-picture unit, and it spent, I did that all winter long. Of course, it meant the kids would stay in my art room because it was warm, and I played the radio, and so they enjoyed singing and doing their art and talking one another. But the point is, over the years when students came back or I saw students, I would hear them telling me about the fun they had painting their pictures. And there were a lot of my students that did art in high school. And so my work stimulated their creativity. That's where project work, open-ended, can lead you. I encourage you to try it.